Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. I want to talk with you this morning. I want to continue on something that I started on last week and did not intend for it to become a multi-message, multi-service message or a series of any kind, but felt the Holy Spirit just drawing and tugging on my heart like Gracie talked about. Last week, I... Who remembers the title of the message last week? This is where we find out who took notes. Anybody remember what what was the title last week? Yes, the whole, somebody said fire, the Holy Ghost and fire. Remember, I asked you the question, what does fire do? You can, while, while we're talking about this, you can turn to Luke chapter 3, by the way, verse 16. This is the same scripture we talked out of last week. John the Baptist is baptizing people in the river Jordan. And people came to John asking, are you the Messiah? They wanted to know, was he the one that was the Messiah or should we look for somebody else? And John's answer is amazing. He says, I indeed baptize you with water, but there is one coming who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. When he comes, he will baptize you in the Holy Ghost and in fire. And so I told you the story about how a couple miles from my home there was a big giant smokestack that was shooting a 20-foot flame up into the air uh, on 421 out by where I live. And, uh, and I was mesmerized by this thing. It was out there for like a, a couple of weeks. And uh, do we have the... Yeah, we still have the picture. Check that thing out. Man, that is wild. Just a couple miles from my house. And I was driving past that thing every day, and it was just constantly putting out this huge plume of fire. It was amazing. And as I drove past it one day, it was a Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning, you'll remember. And uh, <laughs> that's an inside joke. Um, it was a Tuesday morning, and uh, I, was, I was driving my kids to school, and here I see this flame of fire, and my heart got all stirred up. I'm like, Lord, what are you, what are you, what are you doing here? And he asked me this question, potent question, what does fire do? And he gave me four answers to that question. And I talked to you about them last week. I want to review it very quickly. Number one, how many remember number one, what does fire do? It consumes. It consumes. You know the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 4 that our God is a consuming fire. What does it mean to consume? It means the fire doesn't know when to quit until the log is gone. Right? You throw a log on a fire, it doesn't get halfway and then decide to stop. Right? It burns the whole thing. Like one preacher I heard say when I was a young boy, God just wants everything. He doesn't want much, just all of it. Just all of you, right? It's like we do with our spouses, those who are married. You, you want all of your spouse, right? You don't want them to hold back in their life. Like, you know, hey, I'll be your husband Monday through Thursday, but the weekends are mine, babe, okay? I got, there's some people I want to hang out with, and, you know, I'll be, I'll be your husband Monday through Thursday, but, you know, you got to give me some room, right? Mm, that's not going to work. The Holy Spirit's no different. He wants everything. He wants all of us. Our God is a consuming fire. Number two, we said that fire purges. It purges. It purges out of us, out of our thinking, out of our behavior, things that don't need to be there. Right? 
If you get around the fire of God, you will start to change. You, one of two things will happen. When you ask the Lord, Lord, pour out your fire on me. Baptize me in the Holy Spirit and in fire. One of two things will happen. Either he will, the fire will come and it will begin to burn things out of your life that don't need to be there. He'll begin to work on your thinking and work on what you say and work on how you act. And, and he'll begin to change things about you or you'll run away. That's the only two options. You can't get in the fire and stay the same. Amen. It just can't happen. You can't get in the fire and stay the same. So number one, fire consumes. Number two, it purges. Number three, it warms. Who's walked into a nice, cozy living room when there's a raging fire in the hearth or in the wood stove after you've been building snowmen for hours and you can't feel your toes and your gloves are wet and you're just like, man, I just want to get warm. What do you do? You walk in, you get that stuff off of me and get close to that burning fire, right? The, fire, the same spirit, the same fire of God that consumes your life and burns things out of you, that same fire will comfort and warm you. Amen. The Bible calls the Holy Spirit the God of all comfort. He is the one. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 16, he said that I will pray the Father and he will send to you another comforter. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. I'll not leave you as orphans, Jesus said. I'll send the Holy Ghost to comfort you. Amen. That same fire that'll burn junk out of your life will warm you and comfort you when you need to be comforted. And then finally, number four, we said that fire spreads. Anybody ever seen a wildfire before? They're pretty wild. That's deep revelation, isn't it? You've seen a wildfire before. They're, they're uncontainable. They spread very quickly. I, I, got to, uh, I got to working on this message, and, and I went and looked at the, I think it was the U.S. Forestry Service website, and started to look at facts about wildfires. And I found two facts that blew me away. Wildfires get started after extended seasons of drought and dryness, when there's been no water and all the leaves get crunchy. Y'all know what I'm talking about, crunchy leaves. Did you ever, did you, did you ever walking down the sidewalk and see a crunchy leaf and get excited because you're going to step on it? Have you ever walked out of your way to step on a crunchy leaf and then keep going? Because I have. What happens when things get dry? They become susceptible to fire. It becomes easy to burn. And, and I, I, when I read that, the thing that came into my heart as soon as I read that statistic about how fire spreads, I thought, ooh, religion. Religion. Yucky religion. How many of you know Jesus hated religion? He did. He hated religion. Why? Because it made people dry. It sapped the life of God out of people. It did then. It still does now. And here's what's wild. Oftentimes, we charismatics get a little bit afraid of religion so that we don't want to, you know, we don't want to talk too much about the Holy Ghost and about fire around religious people because we don't want to scare them away. But the reality is the crunchier you are, the easier you burn. 
The drier your life is, the faster the fire of God will get you and set you ablaze. We don't need to run away from religion with the Holy Ghost. We need to run to religion with the power of the Holy Ghost. Let the fire of God catch hold of some stuff and start to see our community change. Amen. It's true even if you say amen or if you don't. The second thing I found out about wildfires, and this is just review. The second thing I found out about wildfires, when they get to a certain size, when they, when they absolutely can't be contained anymore, they get to a certain size, and, the, and the, the forestry people, the firefighters, everybody just kind of puts their hand up in the air and so says, nothing we can do about this. It's, it can't be contained. Did you know that at that point, it's actually categorized as something different? They give it a different name. And at that moment, at that point, when it gets so uncontainable, it begins to influence the weather. And it actually creates its own weather. I, when I saw that, Sean, I wanted to do a cartwheel in the office. I was so excited. Because I realized that when the fire of God gets to a certain place and a certain momentum, it will actually shift the atmosphere. It will create, a, a, a large wildfire creates its own storms. Did you know when the fire of the Holy Spirit gets so uncontained in a community, it'll actually turn that community? It'll start to shift, not just a church, not just one church, not just two churches, five churches, everybody in the community. You would hear stories about Charles Finney, how he would go, Andrew and I were just talking about this a couple days ago, how Charles Finney would go into a place and host meetings and revivals and people would pray and the jails would empty out and all the bars would close and crime would decrease and kids started doing good in school and everything in the community came up and began to shift because the power of God was on display. What does a fire do? It spreads. Glory to God, it spreads. Hey, you can be happy about that. It spreads. Yeah. So that's what I preached last week. <laughs> I got to thinking about this Luke 3, 16 scripture some more. And the Holy Spirit just wouldn't let me off of it. Perry, if you'd put it back up on the screen. <clears throat> John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. So we talked about the fire last week. This week, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? What does it mean? What does it look like? Let me show you what happens to those who are baptized in the Holy Spirit? Well, let me ask you first this question. What does baptism mean or what does it represent? Anybody want to take a stab? What does baptism mean? It's, yeah, thank you. Somebody said immersion. Anybody ever been baptized in their life? Get dunked? It's immersion, right? You go under the water, you come out. That's what the word baptism means and what it represents in the scripture is total immersion. If you've, anybody ever learned a new language? Anybody in here? You guys are quiet and not moving. Anybody? Nobody in here has ever learned another language? Okay, Sean grew, learned some language. I learned Spanish when I was in high school. And I, went, I remember I took five years of Spanish, starting in middle school and all the way through the end of high school, and I thought I knew Spanish, and then I went to Peru for the first time. And I realized, 
I didn't know as much as I thought I did. But here's what's cool. When I came home from Peru, I knew more Spanish than I did when I graduated after five years of learning Spanish. Why? Because I was totally immersed in the culture for like 10 days. I was totally immersed in the language. That's all I heard. Do you know that the easiest way to learn about who the Holy Spirit is is to be immersed totally in him, to be baptized in him? If baptism represents total immersion, then baptism in the Holy Spirit is total immersion into him. What more could you want out of life than to be baptized into God? It's the best way to learn a new language. It's the best way to learn the character of the Holy Spirit. If you want to know who our God is, get immersed in him. Amen? Now, we oftentimes talk about the, 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 what happens, the, the act of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, and what happens as a result of that. Anybody know what it is? You speak in other tongues. All right, everybody do something. Take a deep breath. Exhale. Pastor just said, speak in tongue. Don't anybody get tense. The Holy Ghost is not a weirdo, guys. The Holy Spirit's not weird. You don't have to be nervous when we talk about him. Can you say amen? He loves you more than your spouse. He loves you more than your children. He loves you more than your best friend could ever love you. And all he wants is for you to be immersed in him. Amen. Don't get nervous when we talk about spiritual stuff. I was talking with my wife about this this week. And, and we were talking about how people get so tense when, the, when we start talking about the Holy Spirit. We talk about speaking in tongues, and all of a sudden, everybody just gets all nervous and tight. And, oh, God. What? And people begin to avoid him. They avoid the subject of the Holy Spirit, and they avoid the person of the Holy Spirit. How would you feel if every time... Somebody mentioned your name, your best friend changed the subject. How would you feel about that friend if every time they said, oh man, you know, I was talking to Liz and, uh, you know, we were having a great conversation. Oh, hey, did you see the weather this week? And they just changed the subject. How would Liz, how would you feel if somebody changed the subject every time your name came up? You think the Holy Ghost is any less? You think the Spirit of God is, is hurt any less when, when it's time to talk about Him and we change the subject because we're afraid of offending somebody? Let me tell you something once and for all. I don't care if you get offended with me. Not that I don't like you. I love you. I pray for you every day. I believe the best about you no matter who you are. But I don't care if what I say offends you because if it comes out of here, then you're not really offended with me. You're offended with what this Bible says. Oh, it's getting good in here. Don't you feel the goosebumps? Mm, yeah. I'm not afraid to talk about the controversial subjects because here's what I've discovered. If you get baptized in the Holy Spirit and allow God to move through you and you discover the joy of what it means to speak in other tongues, your life will change dramatically. Dramatically. Amen. So baptism represents total immersion. It's the best way to learn a new language, and it's the best way to learn the character of the Holy Spirit. The evidence, scripturally, that accompanies speaking in tongues, or excuse me, that accompanies baptism in the Spirit is speaking in tongues and magnifying God. These are the two things that always accompany baptism in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues and magnifying God. 
Now, I wouldn't just say that to you and then not take you to what the scripture says. So let's go on a, on a journey through the Bible. Are you ready? I've got like a truckload of scriptures, so you have to be nimble and move quickly, okay? Start in Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. John said that, that Jesus was coming and he was going to baptize us in the Holy Spirit. Jesus agrees with John in Mark 16, verses 15 down through verse 18. We know this as the Great Commission. If you're a Christian and you've been a Christian for longer than 10 minutes, you've heard this scripture. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. He that does not believe is already condemned. And these signs shall follow those who believe. In my name, what will they do? Cast out demons. Number two, what will they do? Speak with new tongues. Keep going. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Who said that? Jesus, right? Head of the church, you know, one-third of the Trinity, God in the flesh, the Word made flesh. Jesus, right? We're talking about the same Jesus. I didn't make that up. He said it, right? When we are believers, when we become believers, these are the signs that follow us. He gave us five different supernatural things that would happen. We'd cast out devils. That means the devil doesn't have authority over you. Say amen to that. Praise God. That's good news. The devil doesn't get to push you and your family around. When the enemy comes out and attacks your family, when he comes after your joy or he comes after your peace or he comes after your marriage or your relationships or your health, you get to put your foot down in Jesus' name and say, uh-uh. We have authority over the works of the devil, man. He doesn't get to push you around. You cast out demons. They don't cast you out. Number two, they speak with new tongues. Now, some people think that this means, in an effort to try to dismiss and argue away this idea of being filled with the Spirit, some people talk like this means, oh, I, when I was not saved, I used to cuss a lot, and I used to tell dirty jokes, and now I'm saved, and I got new tongues, so I don't cuss anymore. I don't speak and tell dirty jokes. That's not what this means at all. Jesus was agreeing with John. He, he, was, he was prophesying about what was coming to the body of Christ. Amen. And there's other things. We won't get into them for a time. It says you'll take up serpents. That means you'll be protected. You remember when Paul was on the island of Malta and he was attacked by a serpent? A snake jumped out of a pile of logs and bit onto his arm. And the Bible says he just shook it off in the fire and he was fine. Should have died on the spot, but he was protected supernaturally. That was fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy. It will by no means hurt them if they drink anything deadly. You know, I remember when I was a kid, my Aunt Lou went to a restaurant where they were she unaware of, you know, she was unbeknownst to her, uh, they were cooking food that was spoiled. And she read about it in the paper. Then like two or three days later, everybody got sick. There was a big write-up in the paper. And she was fine. She ate the same food as everybody else in the restaurant. And she didn't get any disease. She didn't puke her guts out like some of the other people were. Why? Because if you eat anything deadly, it won't by no means hurt you. You're protected. And then it says they'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. I don't have time to preach on healing, but just trust that the Bible is true. Amen? Mark chapter 16. Now, let's go forward to Acts chapter 1. I want to move through these quickly because we have a lot of scripture to cover. 
Verse 4 says, being assembled together with them, this is Jesus, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you've heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So even Jesus is expecting that something's going to happen to them when they get baptized in the Spirit. He's given them a heads up. Now flip the page over to Acts chapter 2. Here's the first fulfillment of that prophecy. Here's the first fulfillment. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. Watch what happens, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Then there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not these all who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born. And then it goes on to say all the different people who were represented there, all the different languages that were there. This is amazing because you see how supernatural this experience was. These guys didn't know all these different languages. And from what we can tell scripturally, they weren't speaking all these different languages. People heard in their own language. And what they heard was God being magnified. Here's this church who gets baptized dramatically in the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in other tongues. They're not aware of what they're saying. And the people around them are hearing the gospel in their own language. That's amazing. Look at, look at how it reads in verse 8. How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? That means if Gracie was there and she was one of the ones baptized in the Spirit, she's praying in other tongues. She has no idea what she's saying. And maybe I'm a Cretan or a Syrophoenician or one of the people on the list. I'm hearing her preach the gospel in my language. Then when I stop listening to her, I go to Sean and he's speaking in other tongues and I'm hearing him speak the gospel in my own language. But the guy next to me who's Greek is hearing the gospel in his own language from the same two people. Tell me that's not supernatural. How does that happen except by the Spirit of God? Right? It's beautiful. Let's keep going. Go to Acts chapter 9. This is the conversion of Paul, the apostle, formerly known as Saul. And he gets... Dramatically, uh, he has a dramatic encounter with the, with the risen Christ. He sees Jesus in a vision on the road to Damascus. Amazing. Let's start reading verse 10. After, well, let me say this before we get to verse 10. After Paul sees Jesus on this road, he gets blinded by the light. <laughs> I'm just going to leave that there. He gets blinded by the light. <laughs> 
And then he goes, he's led into town to the home of, uh, of Judas, a man named Judas. And now another Christian named Ananias has a visitation from the Lord. We pick that up in verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise, And go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he's seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. Now Ananias begins to argue with the Lord. Everybody say, bad idea. Okay. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. I will show him how much things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me, everybody say supernatural, Yeah, this just doesn't happen except God gets involved, right? Uh, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. Now, if you read that scripture, you go, wait a minute, it doesn't talk about him speaking in tongues there. That's correct. It doesn't. But 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 18, Paul says, I thank my God that I pray in tongues more than you all. When do you think he started? I mean, logically. If when the Holy Spirit came and people were baptized in the Spirit of God, they began to speak in other tongues. When do you think Paul began to speak in other tongues? Probably when he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, which we just read about, right? That's a pretty safe assumption you can make there, scripturally, okay? Keep going with me. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, we're going to begin in verse 34. This is Peter at the house of Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile. Cornelius was a Roman citizen and a Roman soldier. He was a governor in Rome. Or excuse me, he was a governor of Rome, of the Roman Empire. And he wanted to receive uh, Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He wanted to be saved. And so he's praying and fasting, the Bible says. And and God sends Peter to Cornelius' house to minister to him. Verse 34 is where we pick this up. Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth... I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Man, that's good news, friend. That's the gospel. He says, in truth, I perceive God shows no partiality. That means that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. If you want God in your life, he's not going to give you less because he doesn't like you as much as he likes, you know, so-and-so down the street. God shows no partiality. If you're hungry, he'll fill you. 
If you want Jesus as your Lord and Savior, He'll come and He'll rescue you and you'll be saved. Amen. There is no partiality with God. I've come to tell you, man, this is good news. That it's not based on your merit. It's not based on your own righteousness. It's not based on anything you've done or haven't done. God is in equal opportunity, level playing field. If anybody wants something from him, all they need is faith in God to receive what he has for them. Amen. If you want the Holy Ghost, if you want to speak in other tongues, if you want to be baptized in God, guess what? It's equal opportunity. God shows no partiality. He's not going to give me a gift that he wouldn't give to you. Jesus said to the Pharisees, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Ghost to them that ask? You see how easy it is to get things done in God's kingdom? Ask, believe, receive. Hello, McFly. It's so easy. We sit over here, struggle all the time. Oh, Jesus, if you could just... No, just believe, receive, and ask. Lord, you said in your word that by your stripes I was healed, Isaiah 53. I just believe and I receive that. I ask you for my healing in Jesus' name. Amen. It's done. That's as hard as it is to get things from God. Amen. Man, I'll say amen. So he says, I believe that God shows in truth no, no partiality. Now, jump down to verse 44, because what happens, I don't want to read it for time's sake, what happens is Peter begins to preach the gospel to these folks. And right in the middle of his message, watch what happens, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision, that's Jewish people, those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them, watch, they heard them speak with other tongues and magnify God. It's the same two things that happened in the book of Acts chapter 2. Now, let me give you a piece of history. Acts chapter 10 is 10 years later than Acts chapter 2. We receive, you know, we read and it goes by real fast when we read it. We don't realize a decade has passed from the time when they got filled initially. And now, 10 years later, Peter's in the house of Cornelius. And the Holy Spirit, while he's in the middle of preaching, the Holy Ghost falls and something amazing happens. The Jews go, wow, these people received the Holy Spirit just like we did. How did they know? Because they started praying in tongues. <laughs> right? This is like elementary stuff. Not hard to see, right? How did we know that they were, how did they know that they were filled with the Spirit? For, verse 36, for or because... They heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter said, Can anyone forbid water that they should be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? <laughs> and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Now, later on, Acts 11. You're doing okay. I told you I was going to a lot of scriptures because I'm not going to stand up here and make a claim that the scripture does not support. I'm a little bit more thorough than that. I want you to know that when we look at something in the Bible, it's got to be well-documented and well-represented in Scripture in order for us to believe it and to practice it, okay? Look at, look at chapter 11, verse 15. Here's Peter 
telling, retelling that story that we just read. I love the way he, he tells it. Verse 15, this is Peter talking. He said, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed, look at that statement for a moment. If God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God. This was a breakthrough for Peter and for his ministry because he realized Jesus was not just interested in being the God of the Jews. He was not just interested in being partial to a certain person, to a certain group, to a certain whatever. He wanted to fill and baptize every human being in the Spirit of God. Do you know that today the Holy Ghost that loves you more than anybody else wants your heart more than anything? He wants you to be immersed in his power. He wants you to speak with other tongues because it's powerful. Amen. One more scripture reference, Acts 19. We're just going through the word and letting the word tell the story. If I had time, I'd read from Acts 1-1 all the way through the end of the book, but we'd be here for a while. Not trying to cherry pick. This is what the Bible says. Acts 19, verse 1. This is Paul the Apostle. Now this, hey, listen, listen, before we read verse 1, check this out. This is 20 years after the second chapter of Acts. Two decades has passed from the first time anybody spoke in tongues. Watch this. It happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples there, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We've not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. These were good, devout people who didn't even know the Spirit of God existed. Paul says, into what, verse 3, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. That's John the Baptist. We talked about him at the very beginning. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on Jesus who would come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. Watch this. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. This is even better. It just keeps picking up steam and getting more and more glorious as we go along. These guys didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. They give their lives to Jesus and get baptized. And immediately after that, Paul lays hands on them. And while he's laying hands on them, the Holy Spirit falls on them. They speak in tongues and now they start prophesying. Can you imagine? These are people who didn't know the Holy Ghost existed that morning at breakfast. Okay? They didn't know the Spirit of God even was a thing or a person. He's not a thing. He's a person. They didn't even know the Holy Ghost existed. And now they're getting filled with him and they're prophesying and speaking in other tongues. It's glorious. Now, 
We just looked at eight scriptures. Eight. You can count them. I did. I saved you the trouble. We just looked at eight scriptures. Nine if you count Luke 3.16. Each one of these eight scriptures talked about this experience called the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And they indicated that what happens when you get baptized is you speak in other tongues. Now, let me ask you a question. In any of these places that we've just read, are we given any reason to believe that this gift and this baptism has diminished in any way? In what we just read, did we see anywhere where it said, this is for a certain time period? This is going to start strong and trickle off. In nowhere, in those eight scriptures that we just read, did we see any indication that this is going to cease or diminish. Let me tell you, again, I'll save you some time. You can look through the entire Bible. You can even go through the Old Testament if you want to. There is not a single place in Scripture where you or I will find God or any of the writers saying to us that these gifts and these tongues and these manifestations of the Spirit of God ceased. There's nowhere in Scripture where we can find it. I promise you, you won't find it anywhere. If anything, you'll find it increasing. But what about 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14 where Paul begins to give... No, 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 time out. Paul does not discourage us from speaking in tongues. He actually teaches us how to do it better. Right? You go study out 1 Corinthians. I don't have time to teach all of 1 Corinthians 14 today, but it's true. Maybe we will. Maybe we need to. Paul does not discourage us from speaking in other tongues. He teaches us how to do it more effectively when we're all in a group. That's what 1 Corinthians 14 is all about. How do we make this gift the most effective it can be in a church service? He says, pray that you interpret so that everybody gets blessed. Because when you pray in tongues by yourself, you're the only one getting blessed. You're the only one getting ministered to. But when you all get together and you get in a service together like this, pray in tongues and then pray that you interpret it so that somebody else who might not be praying in tongues can get in on the action. Pray that you interpret so that somebody else can get blessed too. Selah. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. We just read all this stuff. We just read all this scriptural evidence. Hey, if you want something to be scripture, scriptural, what do you need to have? Scripture, right? Do you think we adequately covered the subject? Eight verses? I mean, eight verses from all different places in the New Testament? Let me ask you the question, why be filled? Why pray in tongues? What's the deal? Let me give you three reasons, and then we'll close. Are you ready? You taking notes? You want to write these down if you're taking notes. Why should we be filled? Why should we pray in other tongues? Number one. Number one. I got two scriptures for this one. Number one. For personal edification. Personal building up. Personal strengthening. How many of you go to the gym? Anybody go to the gym? Nick goes to the gym. I know that. Praise God. Scared of him. <laughs> I love you, man. Listen, if you go to the gym, why do you go? You go to get stronger, right? You go to work out 
Or if you go like me, you just go to be seen and hang out on some of the equipment. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I come here three times a week. Yeah, don't worry about it. I'm just, I'm just pushing a couple plates. No big deal. <laughs> why, why do you go to the gym? You go to get stronger. You go to get edified. You go to build yourself up, right? That's what the Bible says praying in tongues does for the believer. Builds them up. Two scriptures. Watch it. 1 Corinthians 14. We just were quoting from there. It's easy for for us to just kind of quote these scriptures, but I think it's more helpful for us to actually turn to the page and look at it. I want you to know where it is in your Bible so you can go back and look at it again. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 4. Why should we pray in tongues? Number one, because it edifies us. It strengthens us. Verse 4 says, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Okay, I don't even really need to try, okay? The Bible just did it for me. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. Again, Paul's not trying not to get us to pray. He's trying to get us to use this gift as effectively as we can when we're all together. He who speaks in tongues edifies who? Himself. You want to get built? Listen, anybody ever had a bad day? Huh? Anybody besides me had a bad day? How do you fix a bad day? Pray in other tongues till the day changes. I promise you it will work 100% of the time. Without exception. How do you fix a bad day? Pray in the Holy Ghost till the day changes. Yeah. Well, let me, let me, restate, let me restate that. Pray in the Holy Ghost till you change and then your day will be different. Yeah. Listen, guys, we've got far more responsibility than we understand. We've got far more uh, ability to change circumstances than we even realize. You having a bad morning, you having a bad day, fighting with your spouse, late to get to the kids to school, bad day on the job, boss is angry, whatever, lost a million dollars in the stock market, whatever. You can fix it. Pray in the Holy Ghost until you get built up and edified and strong you'll find that the challenges of life don't hinder you the same way when you're built up. Amen. Go to Jude 20. Jude is the second to last book in the Bible, just before Revelation. There's only one chapter in it. There's 25 verses. Verse 20 is the one I want to look at. You still doing okay in here? You still love me? We're almost there, guys. Don't go home yet. Jude 20 says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. What is that? Praying in other tongues. Praying in other tongues builds you up in your faith. Have you ever said like I've said, man, I wish I had strong faith like so-and-so? I wish I had a stronger faith like so-and-so. You want to know how you get there? One of the ways is by spending time praying in the Holy Spirit. You are literally building yourself up. The word that is used there is edification. Do you know what that word means? We use the word in English, edifice, to describe a building that is grand. 
You know, if you go like to, to Washington, D.C., you go, anybody ever been to the Lincoln Memorial, for example? It's huge. I didn't know Abraham Lincoln was that tall. You go, and what are you looking at? A huge edifice. You're looking at something that has been meticulously built and is enormous, and it's not going anywhere. That's the, the language that the Scripture uses to describe what happens to your insides when you pray in other tongues. You get edified. You get edificed. You become a rock-solid, immovable, ain't-going-nowhere building. Amen. Number one, why be filled? Why pray in tongues? For personal edification and strength. Number two, why should we pray in tongues? Because it's perfect prayer. It's perfect prayer. Go back to 1 Corinthians 14. We're almost there. Don't unhook. Please, please, please don't unhook. I want you to get this. I really want you to get this. I know I'm going a little longer than usual. This will change your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2, back in this chapter again. He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. Paul is in the middle, again, of teaching us how to use this gift, and he makes a statement here that is a principle about praying in tongues and what praying in tongues is all about. This is a rock-solid principle. When you pray in tongues, when you speak in other tongues, you don't speak to other people. You're not speaking to man. You're speaking to God. When I pray in the Spirit, I'm not talking to my wife. I don't even know what I'm saying. She doesn't know what I'm saying. But the Holy Spirit does. Why would you pray in other tongues? Number one, because it's personally edifying. Number two, because it's perfect prayer. It's perfect, unadulterated, unhindered, uninfluenced prayer. It goes beyond personal knowledge. I wrote this in my notes. It cannot be hijacked by your emotions. Anybody ever prayed a fear-filled emotional prayer? Oh, God, what's going to happen? Oh, Lord Jesus, I need you to help. I'm not trying to make fun. I'm really not. I'm not trying to make fun because I've been there. I've done stupid stuff like that. I remember I got in a fight with the girl I was dating. Not my wife. This was years ago. I had no business dating this girl. She was crazy. She was. Some years after we broke up, she got arrested twice. So bad news bears, okay? We got in a fight on the phone, and I was so distraught. We were arguing, fighting. Finally, we hung up, and I laid across my bed and started sobbing like a child. Oh, God! I'm, start, I'm figuring, okay, well, this is the lowest point. I might as well start praying. Nothing else to do. I've already been running from God for the past year. I've, yeah, let's, let's finally just start to pray. Oh, God, why am I crying? Why am I so broken? Why am I so... You know what the Holy Spirit said? Get up. I kid you not. The Holy Spirit spoke to me. It was so loud in my insides, it might have been audible. He said, get up. This is not who I made you to be. And you know what I started doing? Praying in tongues. And from that moment on, that prayer shifted. From that moment, my life changed, actually, when I think about it. Because I was praying a perfect prayer. 
I began to pray in the Spirit. I didn't know what I was saying, but I could feel myself getting edified and built up. And my prayer could no longer be hijacked by my emotions. Matter of fact, it began to change my emotions. You can pray in the Spirit when you don't know what else to pray. Anybody ever gotten to the end of your intellect when you're praying? You're praying for a situation. You have no idea how to pray for it. What is the will of God for this situation? I don't know. We'll start praying in tongues because he does. And you're not praying to men. You're not talking to your wife or your husband. You're praying in the Holy Ghost and talking directly to God. It's perfect, unhindered, unhijacked prayer. Like my buddy Joey likes to say, it keeps your prayer unselfish. Wow. Keeps your prayer unselfish. The Bible says at the end of this verse, he speaks mysteries. The word mysteries, mysterion in the Greek, best translation in English is divine secrets. When you pray in other tongues, you're praying the will of God, and though you don't understand it, he does. And you're speaking things into the atmosphere. You're speaking things into the spirit realm. You're declaring the will of God. It's perfect prayer. Finally, number three. Why be filled? For personal edification and strength. Number two, for perfect prayer. And number three, Jesus said it was necessary in fulfilling the Great Commission. We read it already in Acts chapter 1. Verse 4, Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. He made speaking in tongues mandatory for his disciples. He said, don't even try to preach until you receive this power. Don't even try to go out and fulfill the Great Commission until you get baptized in the Holy Ghost and receive power from on high. He made it mandatory in fulfilling the Great Commission. Now, we've seen people throughout the years who maybe they're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, but they do some amazing things for the kingdom of God. I'm not calling them sinners or evil or anything like that. What I am saying is how much more effective could we be if we would learn to obey Jesus? How much more effective could we be? He said in Acts chapter 1 right there, he says, Stay and tarry in Jerusalem till you receive the promise of the Father, because John baptized with water, but not many days hence you shall be baptized in the Holy Ghost. Then you go down to verse 8, and he said, And you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. you got to understand, you got to learn to read the Bible in context. He says, don't go anywhere till you get this gift called the Holy Spirit, until you get this gift of speaking in tongues. And when that comes in a few days, you're going to get power to go witness. You're going to get power that is going to come along with this language of speaking in tongues, and it's going to cause you to be an effective witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Do you know what happened? Exactly what he said would happen, happened. Friends, it has not diminished. It has not faded. It hasn't gone anywhere. If somebody tells you these gifts were for the apostles, you say, yeah, they were, and they're for me too. Praise God. Don't even get into the debate. There are some who would try to convince us that this stuff has diminished, that it's gone away, that it's faded away. That was for the first century church, not for us. Right? Anybody ever heard somebody say that? Listen, the, the, two, the two strongest, we, we were talking about this the other day, the two strongest arguments that we hear 
is that which I just said, that this was a gift that was for another time, but it's not valued in our day. The second is that we hear people say, well, that's all well and good, but I don't have that gift. I think we disproved both of those today. We found out that there is nowhere in Scripture that we read that these things would diminish. And I'm telling you, you can't find it in the New Testament. The second thing is dealing with this idea that, well, that's a good gift for somebody else, but I don't have that gift. I haven't been given that gift. Peter stood up in Acts chapter 10 and said, I perceive in truth God shows no partiality. He says that in Acts chapter 2, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. He said, this gift is given. Let's look at it. Go quickly. I just want you, this is not in the notes, but I just want you to see it real fast, okay? I'm not trying to keep you here extra time. I just want you to get this. Acts chapter 2. Verse 39. Well, verse 38 we'll read. Verse 38. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sin. And what happened? You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So now he's preaching to the same crowd that was hearing these folks in their own language. Now he's preaching to them and saying, Listen, you can have the same thing happen to you. Verse 39, For this promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Who is speaking in tongues for? Everybody. Everybody. Everyone. Everybody. Why would God withhold perfect prayer from his children? Why would he withhold? Why would he say in 1 Corinthians 14, if you speak in another tongue, you'll edify yourself and then not give you the ability to edify yourself? Why would, he, why would Jude say, you, beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith, pray in other tongue, pray in the spirit? Why would he tell, why would Jude command us to do it and then it not be accessible? Why would it only be available to a select handful? No, God shows no partiality, friends. I hope that I've been able to convince you that not only is this gift available, but God wants you to receive. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.